0: Hello, Titans, and welcome back to the CSUF pod, a show where we give tools, tips, and resources from CSUF experts to help Titans achieve greatness. It's your host, Mirabelle Esaias here, and I am with a very special guest, Dr. Kristen Kleinjanz, an Associate Professor of Economics at Cal State Fullerton. She studies the economics of gender and family and teaches the popular CSUF course, Economics of Gender and Work. I am so excited to have her with us today because she's absolutely brilliant. Titans, you should see her CV. She has over 13 scholarships articles published all on various subjects of economics and has been teaching for over 20 years. Welcome to the CSUF podcast, Professor. How are you doing today?
1: Thank you, Mirabella. I'm really excited to be here. It's really exciting to talk about such an important topic with you. Thank you for inviting
0: me. Absolutely. I'm really excited to talk about women in the workplace. I feel like this is a topic that not a lot of people are putting forward to talk about. Let's just get straight into it and talk about the real stuff. Let's do it. Sounds good. Okay. In your opinion, how has the workplace changed for women? Starting from the 1940s to pre-pandemic, how has the workforce changed over the past few decades? So you start in the
1: 1940s, and that's a really important point because there have been a lot of changes since then. The kind of work that women could do the kind of jobs that we have were really bad. Think of factory jobs, you know, long work hours, and dangerous conditions. Whenever women could, they would not work. But you would find is women who got married would drop out of the labor force, who would do these jobs were those who really had to because they were just poor. So if you think of a typical woman at that time, she worked at a garment factory, kind of sewing, clothing items. She worked for 12 hours every day, seven days a week in noisy Dusty, dirty work conditions. So it was really bad. So of course, whenever a woman could, they would work. But then, what happened with the rise of office work? There were jobs available to women who didn't have that negative social stigma attached to them. A woman could do clerical work. Uh, maybe they were working as teachers. Uh, so they could do those kind of jobs. Maybe just working part time. And is that women would enter the labor force. But they
0: wouldn't really have careers. They would just kind of work in the kind of clerical jobs. I can't even imagine what that would be like having children. 12-hour work days while doing a double shift of childcare and a job. That's insane to me. I was doing a little bit up the 1940s and women and how women were put into the workforce. What I find very interesting is that being a stay-at-home housewife was a white-centered ideal. And PLC women had been working in the workforce before the war effort even began in the 1940s. I didn't even realize that women were already working in the workplace. And I can only imagine what type of inequalities they were dealing with. The oppression that these women must have faced.
1: If you're poor, you have to work. Yeah. But that's, that's not the the narrative that is given nowadays and or even then in the in the discourse right it's all about the middle class women and what they are doing absolutely
0: what do you think about the way that the workforce has changed from the 1940s i also did a little bit of research on the 1940s too and i was thinking about the war effort for having women in the workplace and like that equality of like oh rosie the riveter and having women like in the workplace was really superficial so the second that men came back? Oh yes, over! Yeah, it was over. And they was scary to have women in the workplace like go back home. And this idea that
1: was created in the media about perfect housewife who would make sure that everything is clean and take care of the children. And um, that was very different from the way many poor women, of course, experience their life. But it was also something that many middle class women thought was kind of the option. That's what they were supposed to do. And that's what they were striving for, I guess. And that's really important for me. This is the most important Part of this development, and I should—this is all based on work by this super fantastic labor economist at Harvard, Claudia Golden. Mm -hmm. She's kind of the gray eminence of of female labor economists, and she was the first ones to really look at these things in in much more depth and provide us with a lot of understanding of what was going on. Mm -hmm. So, starting in the 50s, then what happened is that educational levels increased, right? So more women went to high school. But it was still this idea of the second wage earner, a little bit of money. But there was really no scope for advancement for most women. Again, it was like these dead-end secretary jobs that were very typical. And you probably heard about Ruth Bader Ginsburg, right? The Supreme Court judge who just passed away recently graduated first in her class at Columbia, one of the top law schools in the nation in 1959. And she couldn't find a job as a clerk because she was a woman.
0: I didn't even know that. Oh, my goodness.
1: So even the women who actually were able to... Break the barrier and go into college. Uh, they couldn't really do, it was very difficult for them to do something with their job. And of course, it was Beta Ginsburg was very tenacious and was able to succeed, but many, many women did not. Um, at the same time, though, what happened is, so yet, so yet women have this expectations. They're going to be, if possible at all, they're going to be this housewife, maybe work a couple of hours. But then what happened is that divorce rates increased dramatically. At that same time So a lot of these women Found themselves Doing not what they thought They would be doing But actually being divorced And having to But they had no relevant Work experience They couldn't have any careers So it was really difficult for them So that was kind of the one thing That women very hard On the other hand You had these These huge changes in, in social norms About what women Could do right We had the women's lib. We had all these ideas About that maybe You can do other things With your life Than what your parents were doing But the women Who started to work In this fight Between or we were working between nineteen fifties and like maybe the mid seventies. We're not prepared for that. So they were really stuck in this so so that, that generation was really stuck between a rock and a hard place because it was not socially acceptable anymore to just kind of that housewife who sits at home, but on the other hand
0: they couldn't have the careers that you will have in, in your life. That's so interesting. So that feels like the sixties and seventies was the start of the superwoman era the way that like women are looked at now, we have to do both. We have to be the perfect mom, the perfect daughter, the perfect family member, and then also be the best at our job and work our way up the corporate ladder, be extremely ambitious. So, yes, and
1: happy, right? You're also do- and- supposed to be
0: happy at the same time. Yeah, I don't know. I, I do feel like happiness sometimes in the subject is off the table. You have to make other people happy before you can make somebody else happy, according to <laughs> to society. But we'll get into that in a second because I have I have more to talk about the superwoman complex. But you were saying, what's the difference from then to now?
1: Yeah, so so then I think what happened is that the generation so the daughters of these women I think they they saw what was happening and they said, "Okay, I want to do something else with my life." You know, starting to go to college, getting more education, having careers. You know, it's changed social norms, It changed gender norms about women are all allowed to do or what they can do. And we've seen big increases in women's labor force participation, but also, you know, access for career jobs and professional jobs. So th- I, I, the way I think about it has been really improving a lot for women until the 90s, and then everything has kind of stalled. So yeah. we have the, basically the same gender wage gap that we had in the 90s, which is that women on average make 80 cents for every dollar a man makes and women's labor force participation is still lower than that of men even though a lot
0: of women are working and a lot of women with children of course are working as well. gosh that's so scary to me that it's 30 years since the 90s And we're still at the same point and there hasn't been any movement. That's just so frustrating to me. I do feel like if we go back to the 1940s where we saw that women's needs become secondary to men, I don't feel like that's changed in the workforce. Like no matter what, if if your boss is a man and he wants something... And you're like, well, I have like child care. I have to think of like my family. It comes second in the society. And I'm wondering if differences, care there, the lack of awareness comes from the boys club. That I want to get into and talk about so there's this new term that's been recirculating around social media I heard that before it was probably called the old boys club that's what I'm hearing that it turned a little to the boys club so that's what modern media is calling it they're calling it the boys club and Forbes definition of this is it's an an informal social network of male friendships Forbes calls this a death knell for women wherever we encounter them because they promote from within And provide networking and professional mentoring opportunities that are simply not available to anyone who is not a part of them. And since so many are havens for toxicity, relying on a degree of sexist humor and objectification for their camaraderie, which women are rarely admitted. Can you tell me? What is the boys club? Do you agree with this definition?
1: Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, I was, I've been thinking about this idea between what we used to think this old boys club and this, this new idea of the boys club. And I think the difference is that, that I think the difference is that the boys club has a, is part of the glamorization of the kind of work environment that is new. So if you think of the Silicon Valley tech companies and everything that's going on there, And that became really, really cool. You thought of, oh, you have all these young people working and they have this cool office atmosphere and free food and they can play, I don't know, foosball and they're all this stuff. So it was really glamorized, enabled young men to behave like frat boys. Now, so, so the all, Old boys network had the same thing, the kind of networks, the fact that women, white women couldn't go to golf clubs, couldn't play golf with them after work because either women were not allowed in the golf club or because they were not invited. Still, examples I hear once in a while of things that you do after work because you go to a you know, a strip club where, of course, women are also excluded. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but I think the difference is that it wasn't really glamorized the way this, this kind of new, new tech Office of atmosphere with, you know, young workers who take the lead and young managers hat. So I think it that's why it probably took a little longer dawn on us how, how awful this work environment really is.
0: How toxic it can be and scary yep. it can be, um, especially coming in as a woman, a group of all men. I feel like that can already be very intimidating for sure. But I like that you described that this glamorization of work has really started from tech companies because I never thought of that. You're right. And I do feel like when you're coming from, because a lot of these tech companies, um, people who work there come from like USC or you know like big name schools that have huge fraternities, huge you know social culture. I feel like they just bring their frat brothers with them. And that creates this like frat boy feeling in the workplace because it's like all oh, my friends who've been friends for years and it's like, oh, this new person is coming in and you're kind of like almost exiling them. You know? And it's like, I'm going to promote my boys before I'm going to promote you.
1: I mean, that's always the case for in groups, right? You're always more likely to be helped by your own. think that what this did is that it changes in the workforce, social perception of women's careers or women's chances or women's equality, I think, changed the way young women were thinking about entering these kind of workplaces, right? If you had started in the 90s, you probably would have expected these kind of networks. You wouldn't have been caught so much by surprise by that. And you would have maybe thought about strategies or started a network preparing for what you knew was going to happen. But I think nowadays, we don't expect that anymore. And then it makes it even harder to deal with it.
0: Oh my gosh, that's so true. Because when I went through this situation and I was in a toxic work environment, worked in a at a company that was mostly men. It was an internal company of maybe like seven people. It was a boys club for sure. The type of people that would like definitely like go out for drinks, not invite me. I know it sucks. And then of course, like I saw people getting favored, like the men in the group, because I was an intern at the time. And there was another intern who was a man who was getting favored, who was like, oh, like, do you want to go to Subway? after after work do you want to go go for lunch like what do you want to do and I would be sitting there on my computer cleaning and I would just see that dynamic happen and it's hurtful and it gave me anxiety and I was it makes me uncomfortable to be here because you see me I, I, I felt like they saw me as this like hyper feminine woman that can is like an object pretty much it's like there was no way for me to move up there because there was already a man there that they were favoring really frustrating but i wasn't prepared for that nobody told me that i would be going into a work environment like that. So I like that you said that.
1: Yeah, once you're there, it's it's really hard to do something about it because we know women who are speaking up are more likely to be put down because they're too assertive. We're told we're complaining or maybe things too personally. But I think there's another important aspect and that's not the case everywhere. I don't want to say. The way I always think about it is that it's really hard for men to is so that they really get penalized very harshly if they don't conform to the expectations that especially other men place on them and it's really hard for them then to do something else right so maybe you think this is stupid too but are you going to tell these other guys that maybe this is a a strange behavior or maybe you're actually not as tough as you perceive to be or maybe you don't find those jokes funny either it's very difficult to to deviate
0: and that can get exiled from the boys club if they speak up like that of course, and
1: and I think we we all have some some images in mind about what happens to men who who behave differently than the than the social norms. It starts really early in childhood. Boys are uh, held to much stricter standards about what is acceptable behavior. I mean, this "boys don't cry" thing. Which yes. you think would be outdated, but you could still hear that in this idea that if, you know, if you have a son and he plays with dolls, that is really a problem. And it's not necessarily a problem for the parents, but you should see the other boys in school if that happens.
0: Yeah, that's extremely difficult. You're completely correct. I think it is important to, to remember that it's on both sides. No matter, and it's also not like a gender bias as for like what the boys club is, I guess. Cause that's how I think my issue with it is that I thought that it was strictly for women. I thought that the boys club was strictly like almost an oppression of women, but you're right. It can be an oppression of men too. I mean, in in the way though, the outcome
1: is that, right, we don't have those opportunities.
0: Yeah. Because
1: right. we 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 don't we are not the ones who running who, who are running these clubs. Mm-hmm. So in that sense, yes. And it's not clear that it makes you feel better that yes, they face their own difficulties, but you're who is cleaning and who's not getting those job opportunities?
0: You're right because I'm not the one that's going to be invited to go play golf. I'm not going to be the one that that they're going to sit around and talk about uh, basketball or baseball with. I will say that I understand maybe in what you were saying, like in the 90s, right? That women were prepared for this. They were prepared for the boys club and they were like okay this is how i'm going to navigate it i have to look a certain way act a certain way they were thinking about these things but i think that gen z and people like me don't expect to go into these work environments because we refuse to sacrifice our integrity mm-hmm. i I, compl- I refuse to sacrifice my integrity to feel a part of something that doesn't feel inclusive i don't want that i don't want to do it and at the same but here's the thing at the same time How am I, a hyper feminine woman who doesn't have a lot of male friends or role models, (laughs) fit in and try to be taken seriously with a group of men who only sees me as an object or a secretary? I feel like that's just the type of feeling that runs women out of corporate jobs. I really do feel like it just oppresses Women to the point where they just want to leave. How can men become aware of and use their privilege in order to eliminate gender inequalities in the workplace? What do you think about that, professor?
1: I think there are a lot of men out there who are supporting us, who are supporting women, and who are trying to support women, but they might not exactly know how. The the ones who don't want to support us, I don't think there's much we can do about this, uh, you know, by talking to them. Yeah. But I think there are a lot of men who are. Who kind of know what's going on, but they don't actually know too much about it. So here's what, what I think. First one, would to men who wanna who wanna help make things better for women in the workplace, is just to start taking notice. Right? Just see who who gets to talk, whose ideas get uh, picked up, uh, who gets credit for those ideas, who, whose emails get answered, and whose emails and Slack chats do not get answered. And then speak up when they see that someone is treated unfairly. And I, I mean, that's really, that really holds for for everyone, right? So let's say if you raised an idea during a meeting, it's ignored, and then a man raises the same idea just a little later, it's very hard for you to say, hey, I just had that idea. I mean, you can, but it's going to be very different if whoever, for example, runs a meeting, or if a colleague says, oh, yeah, that's just what Mirabella said five minutes ago. I thought I also thought it was a really great idea. These things can make a big
0: difference because
1: they, they seem small, but it changes the dynamic of the conversation.
0: What do you think about women talking privately to men about that situation? My mom, we in seeing corporate. She was talking to a group on Zoom and there was a man in the group where she said something and he completely like repeated repeated what she said. Mm-hmm. And so they had a private conversation after. She was like, I saw that like we're snoozing on the Zoom call and repeated exactly what I said and I just want to let you know that I found that a little bit disrespectful. Mhm. And so they had like a conversation and a discourse about it and he apologized. And I thought that, that was really interesting because one it was really strong on her part for doing that and for Yeah, that's great. That. two the fact that he apologized. Maybe that's like a showcase that if you bring something up privately instead of like publicly and just treat somebody else like with empathy for their situation too, then maybe they can learn from the situation and not do it again.
1: We all do things that we don't really wanna do, right? That we are not aware of. So if somebody tells us we can we can change our behavior and maybe he didn't know he was doing that. Maybe that's how we what he's seen so far, or maybe it just didn't occur to him that that might be something that people do. And I, th- I think that's, I think that's a really good strategy. First, you assume that people don't know. It's not like they do it intentionally. It's that maybe they didn't realize what they were doing.
0: You said that you've had experiences like that. What are those like for you and how
1: did they make you feel? Generally it works uh, quite well, but it really depends on your environment. I think, I... I I have been lucky. I have not been in such in the real toxic environments.
0: You're right where you're speaking about, because when you feel like you can't talk to your employer and this has nothing to do with the boys club or even gender. When you feel like you can't talk to your employer about things and can't bring up issues, it's just a horrible environment where you never want to go back. (laughs) Like, it's just so uncomfortable to be in. So I guess like for a little bit of advice, just quickly. For people who are in those environments, do you have any advice?
1: They're probably allies somewhere out there. They're people who agree with you or would agree with you if they un- if they knew what was going on. So look for those people. Even in the worst environments, there are other people who feel uncomfortable. You might actually be able to see that if you're in a meeting, just to see who else is flinching, who else might start feeling a little uncomfortable, mm-hmm. and-, and talk to people. And if you can't find anyone, get out of there.
0: <laughs> get out
1: of there and you know do you should be doing for yourself don't don't stay because you cannot change but the entire structure but you might be able to change things if you have some people who who are on board with what you with where you want to go.
0: I like that your advice comes with awareness. Like you have to be aware of the people around you and kind of see who you can find an ally. in. I really like that. That was really good advice. My other question is for women's, what steps can women take to restructure their male dominated workplace or cope with the struggles of workplace inequalities? Because it can be really difficult, as we just described. Find allies, find a
1: mentor, find mentors, find people who can help you, who can help figure out how to navigate these things. But maybe you can find somebody who can tell you whom else you could talk to or who else might be able to bring up these things so who could be an ally and in the meetings you know say oh hey that was this really great idea that uh we just heard nice. uh, the, the the other thing is so so i always think you know prepare for the best but also prepare for the worst so i think making a plan is really important what you want to change and and what you think would be the steps that need to be taken to do that and then you always have to document so keep records because if things end up being at HR it's really helpful if you have a record of
0: email chat zoom meetings oh that can make a big difference like keeping records of everything and putting onus on yourself to kind of scope things out and be like okay this feels wrong to me let me write it down I feel like that's really important something that I read in an article I read somebody said that a way to cope with a boys club or this like toxic work environment where there's only males is to find a girls club and find your way through that. Would you also recommend to like find a girls club? There are two things, right? One is
1: yes, of course, right? You want your support group both in your private life so you can deal with these things in work life and you want to have a girls club or a women's club that helps you with the things that you want to change in your workplace or where you want to go in your career. or work. But I think there's the danger of feeling too secure in that kind of environment. And because women have still so much less power in the workplace, place, you can also put yourself in a a path, right? Because if you don't develop relationships with men, you will still be excluded from a lot of the decisions that are made. And you I think women should be included. We'll we'll just exclude ourselves from all the important decision making possibilities
0: the real fix is just form those relationships wherever you can i am getting from your advice Mm -hmm. is just trying your hardest to make the relationships and if you can't maybe it's time to find another place
1: yeah but but you know do both i don't want to say you should yeah you should network with women or it it shouldn't be the only one only thing you're doing because you exclude yourself you take yourself out of the equation on so, so many things
0: Right. This has been such a good interview. There's like other things that I kind of wanted to discuss too, but I feel like we didn't like get to them. I wanted to talk about like that feeling too, that you had before this interview. Sometimes like as women, like we almost like put ourselves down and feel like we can't do things. I don't know how to describe that though. Hmm, There's a word for that. There's a term for that. It's called imposter syndrome. (laughs) Imposter syndrome. There we go. Where do you think that comes from for women? Where do you think that comes from?
1: I think it's actually something everyone has. Not every, Almost everyone has. But it's this idea that you don't deserve to be where you are. You don't belong. So the imposter syndrome is probably one of the most often talked about concepts when we talk about leadership groups. Mm-hmm. And whenever, you know, you hear about that, everybody says, oh, yeah, I feel like that, too. Where right? you have, you know, the PhDs who went to school literally, what, like 20 years mm-hmm. feel like they don't know an answer to a question that a student gives them, that they are flawed and they don't know what they're doing and they really shouldn't be in that position. And I think it's normal because we want to, because there's always that kind of self-doubt. But I I think it's this idea that maybe somebody makes a mistake, right? That's this imposter syndrome. Somebody made a mistake and didn't realize that you should have never been hired here or you should have never been granted the college degree or something like that. And I think to go back to your question, it probably makes more sense when I talk about it that way, that I think women have that more throughout their lives, more likely to be told or shown that they don't really belong here. Just like you were saying when you were experiencing in that that workplace, right? It was very clear that they were showing you that, or that you felt like they were showing you that you didn't belong there. Yeah. So, of course, you're going to feel like, well, maybe they have a point Mm -hmm. because it's not just one person. Then you can say, okay, yes, that's one person. But if it's everybody, then you're like, really? Yeah, maybe I don't belong here.
0: Yeah, definitely. It felt like they were just showing me the door. Definitely. Mm And honestly, like to be completely transparent, like it took a lot of time and therapy to be like, oh, my God, like it's not me. Like it was it was hard because, of course, that hurts. Like it's just I, I feel like women's feelings sometimes aren't thought about. Like we're taught like, oh, women have too many feelings in the workplace. And it's like I feel like you have to bring feelings just a little bit like empathy into the workplace. And that's what's really going to make people want to stay and work hard. I genuinely believe that empathy is like so important for good work, for success, to push women, to push people to be the best that they can be. Genuinely, I believe that. So that's why these environments are so frustrating to me, because it's like you need to think of your worker. You need to think of the people that are working for you and not just yourself as a CEO or as a um, manager. Like you, you need to think about other people. And yeah, so I don't know if I rambled, but that's genuinely how I feel.
1: Yeah, no, no, I totally agree. And that, I mean, that's one of the, the hopes that, you know, pe- people have that, that as a result of, of the pandemic and of having all these remote meetings, maybe there's going to be more empathy, empathy from your coworkers and from your employers for you know how the other half lives, or how other people live or how women live, because they actually see what it is like if you have a child that runs around in the background or you know all all the stuff that that we have going on that you would never know because if 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 you work at in a workplace because you don't bring these things to work in, a very, in you know many places you don't actually talk about these things
0: either huh that's a really good point, so that's probably why we're seeing a little bit more of a change in to now how people are being a little bit more um cognizant of people's family life or women's other job being a mother, a wife, and um, you know, a family member. Mm-hmm. That that must have really created like this explosion that we're seeing. And it's slight. I will say that I don't I genuinely don't believe it's a huge change. But it's small and I think that small changes are unfortunately the way that change is going to be made, right?
1: There's something else that we've seen actually. We've <laughs> seen more, more men and couples pick up, uh, part of the housework and part of the childcare.
0: Which is really cool. I think that's awesome. Like, I love seeing great dads. Like, yeah, we need, we need more representation of great dads too.
1: Yeah, but it's also, I think that, right, if, if you also work from home, then you have a better idea of what all those things is that, things are that have to be done during the day. Absolutely. But otherwise you don't know. And that goes back to this idea that there's a lot of things going on that maybe maybe, that's wishful thinking on my part, but that is also just a lack of knowledge. Now you could say it's also a lack of trying to find out. Yeah. I totally agree with that, but it's also that a lot of things we
0: just don't know. Mm -hmm. And the more we learn. Yeah, cuz if you don't see it, like how are you going to think about it? You know? Mm-hmm. Like it 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 totally makes sense. And I really appreciate the fact that um you have described and been honest with me and like talked about me, uh, talked with me about this subject because it's very close to my heart and I know that this is going to help a lot of women who are feeling imposter syndrome, who feel like they can't get out of their toxic work environment, you know. So I genuinely really appreciate your time and the fact that you were able to sit here and talk with me today. With that being said, I want to ask you, why are you proud to be a Titan?
1: So so I I should say so. I wanted to be an economist because I wanted to make a difference. Yeah. And for me, Cal State Fullerton is really the, the best place to do that, because our students are just so. Amazing, right? They grew, most of them grew up without the resources that uh, people who grow up in privileged environments have, right? They work super hard. Lots, lots of our students work full time, and they're really working hard, and they're going to college to make their lives better, and to work for their families, and to make the lives of their family better. And they're so full of hope, and they're so resilient, and I, I just I'm just so inspired by how they persist throughout all the all the difficulties that they face. So at Cal State Fullerton I feel like we're we're all working together. We're really everyone is part of this big team and we're trying to make this as good as bo- as best as possible as fantastic as possible for our students to get this education that they want and to get them to be successful in what it, what what it is that they want to do in their lives. So I think that's really important, right? We're not looking for what we think they should be doing, but we want to help them and get them on their way to make them successful wherever that is that they want to go. So I feel I feel really privileged to be part of Cal State Fullerton.
0: Thank you so much, Professor. This has been such a wonderful interview, and I did learn a lot. So thank you for your time, and have a great day. Thank you so much.